0: Yeah, what's up everyone? It's uh, Josh Tongo here and uh, welcome to the Flipside Podcast and it's been a while since I've had a guest on the show, uh, but we are back and I'm excited about today's guest. His name is Graham Nichols and uh, Graham Nichols has had hundreds of out-of-body experiences and he's a world-recognized expert on the subject and he speaks on many areas of spirituality, art and psychical research and he's been featured on the BBC and in the Times, and has authored the books *Navigating the Out of Body Experience* and *Avenues of the Human Spirit*. So, Graham, it's good to have you on the show, man.
1: Good to be here.
0: Awesome, awesome. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things we could talk about when it comes to the topic of consciousness. But for the sake of my my viewers or my listeners, you know, I want to narrow things down a bit. You know, because for the past several months, I've been doing a series on YouTube on out of body experiences. You know, addressing what it's all about its benefits, uh, the misconceptions, and even sharing some of my own personal out-of-body journeys. But based on the the, the comments and the messages that I receive from my listeners, um, of whom many are like former or progressive Christians, um, even atheists and agnostics, so I tend to attract a variety of different types of uh, backgrounds, you know. But I can honestly say, at least in my opinion, that There's a lot of misconceptions out there, you know about out-of-body experiences and so you know either based upon their religious or even their uh, Materialist assumptions, and so I want to tackle a couple of issues today that could hopefully clear things up for them You know because my plan is to bring this topic to the forefront of uh, Certain communities that I know and uh, help spread some knowledge about this stuff because you know Hopefully it'll create some dialogue and I've read you know a lot and i've watched a lot of material um on obe's and ndes throughout the years but you know what i liked about you bro was that there was no hype you know like you've debated uh reputable skeptics and your approach uh from what i've noticed so far just very calm and chill like very scientific you know without all the i guess you could say, like the esoteric <laughs> jargon that's usually associated with this topic you know what i'm saying and so let's get into it. Let's first start off with a definition. So Graham, uh, what is your definition of an out-of-body experience or an OBE?
1: Okay, well I I guess there's two levels to the answer to that question actually because there's the level of what we personally experience. So that would be something like feeling that we've floated out of our body, um, gone to another location, you know, it's it's more it's more the experiential level. So the is floating above yourself looking down at your body, but that's very limited as well because also many people will go off out of the room, they'll go into a different country altogether, maybe onto a, another level of um, what they believe another level of reality, or there's there's all kinds of different types of experiences you can have. And then I think on the, the second level of answering that question is what might actually be going on and that's a much more tricky question to answer because at the moment we don't have all the science to really fully understand what's going on but there are different interpretations so there's the more esoteric framework which argues that there's some kind of body made of some kind of energy and that that comes out um, maybe even multiple bodies and that that travels away from you then there's the more scientific framework where people will say that it's more like the brain is entangled Uh, there's the concept in quantum physics that the brain um, could be entangled through uh, some kind of quantum effect and therefore information uh, can be received at a distance or you can um, almost have some kind of interconnection with the world around you so there's there's different theories um, but the experiential part is quite consistent that people will have some feeling of floating Out of the body and to another location
0: Okay, I mean so which one would you mostly lean towards?
1: Well as you said at the beginning I go more with the scientific um, oh, okay. <laughs> It <laughs> makes sense. It, okay. it just makes sense to me and I, I think there's there's some problems with the sort of energy body ideas I think um, for, for example the the fact that energy body is often perceived as wearing clothes and things like that which uh, right, right. that that's just off of the top of my head one example and if, if it is just a pure energetic thing it's not to do with something to do with our sense of self and our identity and our protection of our own way of seeing ourselves then you would expect it to to look um, differently so so there's there's some problems with that I th- I think
0: Yeah, so I mean, I guess the first level you were talking about was more so like there's this actual feeling that you are coming out of your body, you know. Um, That's something that I've even experienced where I I do literally feel like I'm coming out of my body. Um, But then I guess the second level you're referring to is that maybe it's not necessarily you coming out, but there's this entanglement where there's a sense of, uh, I guess, would you just say more of like a shift in consciousness?
1: Yeah, uh, sure. I I think what you once you start to get into it it could it could be it could be multiple things going on as well we we also have to remember that it doesn't have to be either or right. there could be multiple aspects if we think about our own uh, brains and our own uh, awareness of the world and things like that our sensory experience of the world it's not just made up from one sense it's not just seeing or it's not just touch it's a combination of different things that build up our sense of where we are in the world and then also our sense of who we are in the world. So there's different stages and different aspects to that. And I think with an out-of-body experience, it's probably working in a similar way
0: right right and i'm glad you kind of put it that way it's not just this either or thing but you're open to the different possibilities you know because people have their experiences and what they actually felt like the way it was but then there's a i guess a scientific aspect to it um of just understanding of entanglement and all those things um you know but since this this is your first time on the show you know i just i would like you to kind of like introduce and you know just tell us a little bit about yourself and your story and how you kind of ended up you know, exploring all of a sudden, you know, being an expert or an authority on this subject.
1: Well, I guess it started for me. I mean, if we if we go right back, really, it started for me as a as a small child, around five years old. I started to have um, perceptions, not not out of body experiences at that point. It was more perceptions and what seemed to be memories and and different things that. Um, unfortunately, I didn't write them down, and so yeah. my memory is quite vague. <laughs> of them, but right, right. but I'm aware that I had these memories of uh, what I guess could have been some kind of past life or something of that uh, kind of category, or or maybe I was picking up information in a sort of psychic sense. So I guess I I was sort of tuned into that kind of thing, and then I saw a a figure standing in my doorway. Um, night I got out of bed, went into my hallway um, to go to the bathroom and there was a a tall figure standing there that didn't didn't do anything, didn't move, it just looked at me. Um, and at the time at the time I was quite scared as you would imagine. Um, a small child, I, I was I I was very, very sort of terrified of what happened. But then later as I thought about it Actually nothing negative was involved it, it was actually it was actually a very positive experience in many ways it 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 showed me essentially um, that there was a, a feeling that there was more beyond you know there was a there was a sense even that this figure was kind of like a guardian or standing at, at a kind of threshold between two levels or something of that nature so Although I don't know what that was, and it's, it's, you know, you can put that into whatever framework of thinking you want to. The important factor was that it started me thinking about what all this might be. And, and as I approached my teens and entered my teens, and I started to have some spontaneous out-of-body experiences. Um, and, I, and then I researched it and I learned to induce them myself. Uh, from that point on, so that's sort of the journey. It was it was with me from the beginning in some form or another. I guess.
0: Okay. I mean, so did you not have any um, religious background at all?
1: No, no. My 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 family, uh, like most uh, British families in in England, uh, they don't. A lot of them don't really uh, pay that much attention to religion anymore. Um. So. Although my mother would probably say she was Christian, um, I never saw her ever do anything that you would sort of consider Christian in the sense of like going to a church or anything like that. And my father, I guess my father would probably say he was agnostic or something like that. But, um, but in, in essence, I think uh, a lot of the values maybe that you could attribute in, in some degree. I mean, my mother was a carer for most of her life, so she spent her entire life helping others and has based her entire life around caring and compassion really. So. Yeah.
0: Okay, so the virtues were there, <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, I mean, so like as you were saying earlier, uh, your first, at least from what you can remember, uh, was when you were five years old, but it was more of like you saw like some sort of apparition or something, but it wasn't necessarily an OBE until you said when you were a teenager,
1: right? Um, about twelve w- was when the the first out of body experiences happened. Yeah,
0: um, and you mentioned it was spontaneous, right? I mean, why don't you kind of unpack, like, what happened?
1: Okay, well, the 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 spontaneous ones were very brief. Um, I had a series of maybe three or four of them, and they were all pretty much the same. Um, I would lay down, and I had a I had a feeling that. Um, something was shifting within me. Now I guess in retrospect I would say that essentially I was going into some kind of trance state and I was going into something akin to sort of deep meditation. To this day I still have an ability to very easily go into a very deep meditation and trance states and things like that. It seems to be something a natural gift if you like that I have. Um, So at that time I went into that kind of state and then almost like a in a split second I found myself um one of the the ones I have the best memory of was in it was in my school playground which was maybe half mile from where I lived and I found myself back at the school um, and I was in the playground but I was above above the ground I was maybe sort of two feet or something off the ground um and I was just kind of floating there and I didn't know what was happening and I looked around there was no one else there which was obviously, you know, not how I would usually experience that the school Um, and as I looked around I I thought, you know, this is so intensely real and vivid and you know, I I was like this isn't a dream where what's happening, you know and and then almost as soon as I had that thought, I I was back uh, in my physical body and and that happened like I say, I think about three times, um, and then I heard about the subject. Uh, oh, so I so you think, didn't
0: know about like the whole idea I, I about know, it? No,
1: no, okay. No, I didn't know what it was at all. Um, I just I heard about the concept. It was about six months or a year later. I I don't remember whether it was in a newspaper or whether it was on the television. I, I'm not really sure, but I I I heard the concept somewhere. Um, and the main thing was that I I got inspired to find out about it. So I I walked to the local bookshop, um, had a look in there, and they did have one book on out of body experiences called "Out of Body Experiences: A Handbook" mm-hmm. by a parapsychologist called yeah. Janet Lee Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And that that book, which put it all in a kind of scientific framework, right from the very first book I read, uh, gave me some insights into. What the experience might be and how potentially I could induce it. So that was where it started properly, really. Yeah. I
0: mean, so why didn't it like scare you? You know, like when you, I mean, it was, if it wasn't a familiar um, concept in your mind at the time, like what drew you to want to learn more about it?
1: Um, well, it was a very positive feeling. I guess, like a lot of people will describe with near death experiences. Um, there's that feeling of sort of light and compassion and um, love, really. There's a very, very positive feeling. And all of my out-of-body experiences in the sort of the early stages of of my learning all had that quality, and most of them do to this day. So so that was very much um, what, I guess, made it, not a scary experience for me. I mean the only time I've ever been scared with any of my experiences really was that very first one and I think that that, that was just because it was so outside of what I understood to to be possible or real I guess at that point. So um,
0: so obviously yeah those were spontaneous ones in the beginning and then um you were saying that you I guess you eventually learned to kind of induce it you know self-initiate your OBE so like how how did that work, and like how long did it take till you were finally able to do it? You know
1: Well, at the time, there weren't many books on the subject. Um, there wasn't much information at all. There was no internet then. so so my my approach uh, was to just use this one technique that was in the back of the book I mentioned, um, which was essentially just imagining you were floating on clouds. Um, which I now know is not really a very good technique <laughs> <is>, but, <laughs> um, but it was all I had at the time and I i don't know I had this very uh, unusual I, uh, I guess for my age and background I had this very unusual level of uh, discipline in terms of this particular area and I really wanted to do it so I spent six months essentially every single night i didn't miss a single night in six months and i did it every night um consistently and i spent about an hour every single night i've got all the diary entries uh right from that time so it's quite it's quite nice i wrote down the start time the end time um anything that happened you know i I wrote everything down um but, so, yeah, I spent six months and I was essentially at the point of giving up that that's sort of almost the key factor in a way. Because what what happened was I realized that well, I didn't realize, I realized afterwards I, I was at the point of giving up. So I just sort of let go in a way. I wasn't so focused on it. But, but I wanted to keep the consistency. I think I said to myself that I was going to try for a year. And then if it didn't work, then I would uh, forget about it. But I was going to try for a year. That was my my plan. Um, So I wanted to stick to that commitment. Um, And I, so I laid there and I I sort of lost uh, the drive in a sense. But that was actually the good thing because what it meant was I let go. I relaxed and I let go. Whereas before I had this belief that it was all about willpower (laughs) and projection, you know, as projection thing. I thought I had to project, you know, so I had all these concepts in my mind that were actually untrue and when I when I relaxed I felt this huge surge of energy go through my body like it felt like a as intense as some sort of lightning striking or something like that, but not negative or painful in any way actually a very positive almost like all of the stress and negativity and emotion and all of that everything all just releasing in a second um then as i became aware again i realized i was looking down at myself from above um and that was my first induced experience
0: wow so i mean you were really determined man to at least commit to a year but you did it within six months you said
1: yeah, it took six Yeah, months.
0: I mean, so pretty much every day you said you didn't miss a day, so you were basically doing the whole cloud, visualizing yourself on a cloud kind of thing, and it just wasn't working.
1: No, it, it, the the problem with it, I would, if I was evaluating that technique now, is the problem with it is it is it had no focus, it had no direction, and and I think the that's quite key in techniques because if you if you don't have any focus or direction, then your mental focus and your energy if you like, so it's not condensed or focused into one particular direction, which is quite important, I
0: think. So, yeah, yeah. You know, were were your OBEs very physical or were they non-physical or both? You know, can you kind of just give us a general idea of what these OBEs are like?
1: I think they are a combination of both. I think that some experiences feel very physical. I've had experiences where I've been very rooted to the ground. I feel like I'm standing there physically. Everything around me looks very vivid, almost more vivid sometimes than my physical sight. I do wear glasses, for example, when I'm reading uh, text at a distance and things like that. I'm a bit short-sighted. Um, so, but when I'm in the out body experience, in those really heightened, really ultra clear experiences I'll have vision that's better than my physical vision whereas in other experiences I might see what seem to be energies. it's almost like I'm seeing colors and energies related to physical things or uh, that kind of uh, experience. Then there's there's experiences that seem to be more in another level of reality altogether, um, something more akin to an afterlife in some ways be very much like classical descriptions from different religions or different um, near-death experiences and things like that. Uh, one example is what I call the more summerland-like levels where it is almost like a lush beautiful earth-like environment that is full of very vivid light, the colours are beyond anything that we usually describe or imagine. Um, other environments seem to be very misty and otherworldly. There doesn't seem to be up or down. There doesn't seem to be any real time in the normal sense that we understand time. So those kinds of levels are, are very interesting as well. They have a whole different kind of feeling to, to the physical. So yeah, there's a, there's a spectrum, I guess you could say, of different types of experience the way you see the way you feel the way the environment feels it's its different within different experiences
0: yeah i mean so i guess this would might open up a can of worms because you know in the sense of like the way religion views these kinds of things it's kind of a pretty much for the most part at least for let's just say like a typical american evangelical christians or something um, when you die it's kind of like a heaven or hell and that's pretty much it you know what I'm saying, um, but you're kind of describing that there are different. I guess would you say like levels of reality?
1: Um, it it seems like it, but but we don't. You know, we don't really know exactly what's going on with that either. So it's a bit like the question of the of the bodies and or whether it's some kind of extended mind. I mean, it could be it could be that we're experiencing a joint. Joining of all of our conscious awareness all across the world almost like a if you think about it like a computer almost like a network of consciousness it could be something like that but it could also then be a literal if you interpret things more in religious context then maybe you could see it as as the afterlife or heaven or whatever context you want to see it in i guess from my perspective i I'm very open. I, I I don't know what the answer is yet. And I'm really fascinated by what the options are and all the different possibilities of what, what could be the answer to these questions. So I guess that's how I look at it.
0: Okay. I mean, but just kind of uh, jumping back to that whole idea of the afterlife, though, have you ever encountered like someone who recently died, you know, that while you were out of your body?
1: Yes. Well, the, the most, the most, uh, Powerful example of that was uh, what Raymond Moody would call a shared death experience, right. which was essentially where I had an out of body experience. It was unusual because it was in the in the morning as well, because usually my experiences are more in the evening. Um, but this experience was in the morning, and I I found myself in essentially the the environment I was just describing this misty. Unusual uh, environment that didn't seem to have any up or down or or sense of time or anything like that It was all just this kind of almost as if you were on clouds. I mean, it sounds very Cliché, but I mean really that's what it looked like as if you were standing on a, an environment of cloud um, and Around obviously it's hard to estimate distance because of that but it was around 200 meters from me. Um, I could see a group of people, 150, 140 or so people who all seemed confused and they were in different stages of what seemed to be their life review. If you have read anything about near-death experiences you'll know that people often will see uh, a retelling of their whole lives, they'll see key memories, they'll see uh, glimpses of things that maybe they didn't feel good about or things that they did feel good about, all these different things will unravel and unfold in this life review experience that they have. And I I was watching all these people and some of them I was literally seeing glimpses of their life reviews. I have this vivid image of this of this man who seemed to be seeing, I guess maybe it could have been his father or something like that, but he was seeing this very um Sort of worn face someone who looked like they work in the outside um, very leathery kind of skin and very dark tan as if they'd worked outside for for many years um, and he seemed to be struggling uh, with his life review like he had things he needed to resolve and then over the other side of this group there was i think it was a woman uh, but it was hard to tell at the distance um, and she seemed to be drifting off into the cloud and disappearing, almost like she was going to the next stage, um, and she didn't seem to have so many issues uh, that she needed to go through. So it was almost like this was the first stage of an afterlife experience. But the, the really fascinating thing was I got this sense that they were something European, um, were non-English speaking, and that that I th- I thought that they'd all all died together in a very, um, you know, almost like instantaneously.
0: Like an accident and, or something?
1: Yeah, like an accident. And and the interesting thing was, um, I think within a couple of hours or, or so, I'm not exactly sure of the time frame, but um, not long after, I, I walked into the living room. Uh, I was still living with my father at the time. And I walked into the living room and there was on the news... A crash, a plane crash that had happened in in an island off of Norway, and um, 140 people had died in the crash, Um, and it had happened at the same time that my out of body experience had happened.
0: Oh, yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, when you were observing this, um, did you have like a physical body, or was it more like a movie, like you know, like you're watching some, just like some sort of screen in front of you?
1: No, no, I felt that I was standing there on this strange canopy of cloud. Um, I felt that I was standing there, but I felt that I couldn't go any closer to them. I was around, like I said, around 200 meters, something like that. not, um, And I couldn't go any closer. And I felt, I, I think many people have described with afterlife experiences, with, with near-death experiences, the out-of-body experience part of the near-death experience, that they'll go to this other level and they'll pass on or others passing on, but they won't be able to go past a certain point. Like if they go past a certain point, then they won't be able to go back. And maybe I had I had something in a kind of similar context that I felt that I couldn't go to where they were. I could only watch, but I, I felt I was on the same level as them pretty much. Maybe slightly, uh, but pretty much on a on a plane with them. I was watching them uh as if I was just, you know, standing at the other end of the street or something.
0: Yeah, that's a I mean that's a pretty powerful experience, especially for someone who's uh probably skeptical of these kinds of things. You know, I guess that would be considered like a vertical type of evidence if it were you know if it was confirmed that that's an actual plane you know um you know who knows right i mean were you able to kind of dig deeper into that story or not so much of like the the whole incident
1: yeah yeah there, there was even uh another another experience um that that sort of more recently that well two more experiences later on that seemed to connect with it but um and but 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 I think the 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 key the key part was I wouldn't yeah I wouldn't say I'm skeptical I'd say that the way I look at it is I'm I'm just sort of open and I I don't I don't want to I don't want to say this is how it is because I think when you do that you stop learning and you stop looking and you stop being open and I, and I want to be able to change my mind I want to be able to learn and I want to be able to take the lessons that the experiences give me um and that's the key focus for me i guess so uh that's that's how I approach
0: it yeah yeah no it's cool i'm glad you shared that story because like i said there's there's a there's a certain you know um type of person that usually watches my videos because like i said um some of them are like former christians and some of them are like straight up atheists because you know they would watch some of my videos you know discussing and challenging some uh Religious ideas, but for some reason, you know, a lot of them are materialists, <laughs> you know, and so they, they have it. They have a hard time um, hearing me leave a lot of my religious ideas and being open to this whole idea of out of body experiences because you know they're just wondering, you know, this might just be all just part of your brain, or you're just making this stuff up, or you know, well, you know, well, duh, Graham, you know, people die every day, you know, there's a there's a crash every day, you know, there's all these questions that could go inside people's minds you know when they hear these kinds of stories but what you shared it is uh, something to at least be open to the possibility that this was possibly a a real incident that occurred but you know in general uh i am a skeptic at least by its like original meaning because i do think it is healthy you know not to believe every single claim out there because there are charlatans there are fake mediums there are people um, probably making up stories, you know, Um, but there's a problem that I've noticed where I see people dismissing some of these experiences despite a lot of the the compelling evidence that's out there, you know, simply because of their either, you know, philosophical or theological commitments. And honestly, I I do think that there's a lot of people who aren't even aware (laughs) of the evidence and some of the case studies that are out there because it's probably not on their radar. But, you know, if you could just answer this for me, like, how do you know, you're not just dreaming all this stuff up, you know, and hallucinating because maybe it's just all happening in your brain.
1: Okay, well, I guess I should start from the the skeptic thing. Yes, if if we're talking about the original definition of skeptic, um, then then yes, I would I would be a skeptic in the sense that I that I require evidence and I evaluate everything and I use Occam's razor to see what would be the most feasible explanation. But the the thing is, when I apply the the skeptical arguments, if moving more towards the skeptical community or the skeptical activist movement, as I define them, um, then I think we you, you get plausible explanations put forward. But the problem with a plausible explanation is your is it doesn't have any evidence to support it either. So we get into this tricky territory of we have to I guess categorise different types of experiences that we have and leave it at that because we can't ultimately know. Um, But the way I approach things in terms of evidence and understanding and all of that is is I take it in in different avenues of evidence if you like. So there's my personal experience which I don't expect other people to necessarily take as any any kind of evidence, but obviously for me that's the starting point. What we can what we can say is when someone has a near death experience, especially when there's witnesses, or you know, or an out of body experience. When it, when someone has an experience like that and there's witnesses, the information is written down at the time the experience happens, and all of that information is is uh, recorded and confirmed then I think we can say that that's a case study, not an anecdote. An anecdote is when you don't have any definite details, you don't have witnesses, you don't have confirmed details. So I make a distinction between anecdotes and, and case studies to start with. And then we have to take all of that and then say, OK, so that's a starting point. Uh, what can we do then? Do we have other evidence from a more controlled environment that also supports this kind of contention. The the fact is, is we do. We have repeatable evidence of telepathy, precognition, and even out-of-body experiences, although the out-of-body experience research, there isn't very much, but Patricio Trisoldi in, in Italy, for example, has done a recent study which came out with hugely statistically significant results. Um, the expected Uh, Level for example was 25% and he actually got 66.7% Accuracy in the experiences and that's under controlled conditions using hypnosis to induce the out-of-body experiences So you're taking something that's actually very difficult to fully control as we've covered an out-of-body experience and he's managed to control it to the degree that he's more you know almost trebled the the evidence for for an out of body experience, so um, you know, from from chance expectation, so, and I think that's across the board with psychical research. So I, I think that really, if we take an objective scientific perspective and we we get rid of the biases and the you know the emotions and the sort of taboos about it being related to religion or superstition and all of that kind of thing, um, you know, that skeptics would argue. Then I think we have to conclude that there is, you know, consistent good evidence. We have a strong level of confidence in a scientific context.
0: Right, right. Because I mean, obviously, there is a lot of people they they wouldn't buy into like the anecdotal, you know, the evidence, the stories that people share, even if it's a powerful uh, personal experience that somebody has. So, what you're saying though is that you can apply, I guess you could say, the scientific method to the out of body experiences because you're saying that there were. Uh, I guess you could say experiments that were done, you know, that were testable and repeatable and right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so uh, can you name any like specific, if anything that comes to mind, like any specific uh, experiment that was done where uh, someone gave some, like some sort of verifiable information um, through an OBE? I mean, where, you know, they were able to give details aside. I mean, I know you had your, your, your airplane experience, you know, but if there was like a, a controlled, Experiment, you know, that was done where someone gave uh, verifiable information that they couldn't have known otherwise.
1: Well, like I said, uh, Patrizio Trizoldi's research in Italy. Um, so, if anyone looks up uh, Patrizio Trasoldi, I know it's a bit of a difficult <laughs> word, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. name, uh, Italian name, <laughs> um, but uh, he's he's in a university in Italy, uh, Patova, I think it's called the university. Um, I'm not totally sure off the top of my head, but anyway, he's, he's an Italian researcher, and as I mentioned, his his results came in at sixty-six, yeah, 66. point seven percent uh-huh. when when twenty-five percent would have been the chance level, so hugely statistically significant. And he's done a few different uh, studies, so that's the most recent. It's in the last few years, so that's the most recent study, uh, and he used multiple multiple subjects, so
0: yeah i guess what i was getting at was more of like did they like like how were they set up was it more to put someone in a room uh they'll have them induce some sort of you know uh, you know have them have an out-of-body experience and then they have them go into another room and identify some sort of object or anything like that is that kind of what it was about
1: yeah that, that that was essentially but it was more more controlled than that because the targets weren't even at the same location the targets the targets were blind, so the experiments were all uh, double, triple blind um, Basically, uh, the uh, a target would be set up at a remote location probably even in another country or a different part of the country, etc. And the, the subject would be hypnotised He used hypno- hypnosis in order to induce the OVEs um, The subject would be hypnotised and then asked to describe uh, the remote location and the object etc. and then uh, the the data was then assessed by an independent judge so someone not even involved in the experiments was asked to assess how accurate they were and to decide whether they you know to decide which target or which uh, object the independent judges thought that they had identified so that means that the judge didn't know what the right answer was. The judge just had to say, I think this person is describing a camera, for example. Um, so he you know, he writes down that he thinks that, that it was the camera that was the target. Um, and that was what the 66.7% it came from. So he didn't know what the correct answer was. He didn't know who was involved he may not have even known what the nature of the experiment was i'm not sure about that but essentially it was a very controlled there's no way anyone could have you know uh, cheated in any way because it wasn't even in the same location so right, right. Yeah.
0: Well, that's interesting yeah i mean so um you know this is just for me playing devil's advocate you know um, even though I, I believe I believe you, <laughs> um, but you know when it comes to the idea of consciousness, though I mean, isn't consciousness basically an epiphenomenon? In other words, like, isn't it dependent upon the brain?
1: <laughs> oh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I
0: um, mean, that's what they say, right? That's what a lot of the guys say. So,
1: well, actually, no, not many scientists say that. They say they say that that's probably what it is. But as as I don't know either. Um, we're in a situation where you, there's a thing called the the hard problem of consciousness, which is essentially how do we get consciousness? If you take a materialistic perspective, how do we get consciousness from basically um, a load of neurons, sure. and, uh, brain activity, etc. It doesn't it doesn't make sense in many ways, and we can't actually find out how that process works no one has actually figured out where consciousness is or what leads to consciousness we only have um correlations essentially we have when something happens in the brain there's a correlation uh you know there's a i mean sorry when something happens in the world or or we do something uh, interact in some way there's a correlation to that action or interaction within the brain that's that's as far as we can go, but that doesn't tell us how consciousness works. That just shows that something happens when we do things. Um, so so there's a big gap. Um, even the, the most hardcore skeptics, I recently debated Sue Blackmore in a radio debate, and even she in the middle of the radio debate, I, I didn't bring it up. I was just mentioning that um, there are a lot of things in science that were at a point that, we don't fully understand yet how they work. We can see that they exist because of the phenomena that, that they produce. Dark matter is a good example of that. Um, but we don't actually know how they work in, in detail, the specifics of, of what it actually is and how it's produced, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And she used the example of consciousness um, because we can see that we appear to be conscious but in, at the same time, you don't really know how that can happen if you purely base things upon brains. So this is actually quite a strong argument for why there might be more to it. There's a, there's a very important book called Irreducible Mind. Right, right. Um, and that book is is basically packed with evidence that the mind cannot be reduced purely to the brain or functioning of the brain
0: yeah no i know there's a lot we could get into that Uh, that's just one of the things that i know comes up you know every so often when when this topic is discussed and so that is there is that you know the hard problem of consciousness where you just can't like manipulate a bunch of atoms and you know all of a sudden there's consciousness you know and so i'm glad you're able to bring that up but you know don't worry we're not gonna (laughs) talk about the whole time what i do want to talk about next is just this whole idea um of fear you know surrounding this topic of obe's you know why why do you think there's so much i mean i don't know if if you've experienced this from people that you deal with but for me i do um why do you think there might be a lot of fear surrounding this whole topic of of obe's or let me frame it a different way like what can you say to um a lot of the like christians out there who would consider this stuff to be demonic or new age because like i said i get this criticism a lot
1: um well i guess the 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 first point is is to look at i i guess if you're gonna argue that something's demonic you have to really you have to put forward exactly why why something would be categorized into that context um i think to say that a spiritual experience is demonic um I, I, I put it this way uh, Quite a long time ago, I had a conversation with a priest about my out-of-body experiences. And I was a bit confused at the time. I I was sort of a teenager or something when I I had this conversation. Um, And I was a bit confused at the time by why people would sometimes say this kind of thing, oh, it's bad or whatever, when I would look at the, the Bible or... And I would see descriptions of of uh, people having visions and people having yeah. all kinds of <laughs> types of experience. Right. And I would also see um, there's a there's a, a passage where uh, in the Bible that references someone may have been in in body or may have been out of body. Yeah, Paul. You know, yeah, this, yeah. Th- there's a reference to that. So um, that almost suggests. You know the out body experiences are a positive thing in a biblical uh, context but the important thing is as I asked this this priest the question and he I think he gave a very good answer to the question because he said the important thing is not the vision or not the experience that you had but the important thing is the message or the interpretation that comes through that experience the reason that the the visions or the experiences that people had in the bible are considered to be uh, positive or spiritual or um you know godly uh, and some other experiences are not it's because of the content and what they are communicating um so he said that if your experiences are leading you away from what you would essentially call um a virtuous life or a good life or you know, being an ethical person, then you would want to question them or probably say that they would fall into the category of something negative or, if you like to use that kind of terminology, demonic. But if that that experience is is making you a better person or leading you towards something good, then probably you can say the origin of that is something good. The same way that you could say that with near-death experiences, people often say that They experienced God. They often say that they um, completely changed their lives. As I mentioned, I I started my life in a a situation where, you know, I I grew up in a public housing project. There were lots of problems, lots of uh, things going on around me. But my uh, visions, which, like I mentioned, started as visions, um, led me at 10 years old to commit to never drink alcohol, to never take drugs um, and I've stuck to that commitment since the age of 10. Um, At a later date, because of my outer body experiences, because I experienced the life of an animal um, or I saw kind of almost like the visionary experience, I felt uh, an empathic or direct connection with that life. I realized that human beings are causing so much suffering and harm to the world around them to other animals and things like that so I I became vegetarian when I was 16 and I became vegan later on and so now I try to remove myself from harming or killing or any causes harm to anything around me as much as is possible obviously there's limits to how much you can do that and then it also led me towards reading like Leo Tolstoy who was an anarchist Christian who uh, was also vegetarian for the same reasons that I just gave. He believed in non-violence at the core of his spiritual religious viewpoint much like the Sermon on the Mount and the religious context of what uh, Jesus was saying there about not using violence. Um, So in many ways I can see that my that my experiences have done exactly what that priest was describing that led me towards being a more compassionate, more spiritual, more engaged person and to be open to far more than I was in terms of a, a positive life than, than maybe most of the people that I grew up around because they were influenced by, by different things.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you brought up the whole idea that, you know, there were people in the actual Bible <laughs> that had out of what we could call out-of-body experiences, even though they don't, I guess, really use that term, you know, they would probably say like, um, I was in the spirit or, um, yeah, there was Paul saying that I was in or out of the body, I do not know, so, I mean, there that seems to be evidence there that there was a possibility they had their own out-of-body experiences, but, you know, believe it or not, I, I've actually seen some articles by christians who would even say yeah they would accept that though but that's god ordained but you shouldn't induce it yourself so i don't understand that logic but what would you say in response to those people who do think that way say yeah maybe people can have it but it has to be something kind of like caused by god and you shouldn't be learning these techniques and trying to make you know yourself have one what can you say kind of in response to that
1: well, I, I, think, I think in a sense, I think that they're coming from a fear-based position there. I, I, don't, I, I think that there is a general belief that you can be harmed by the experience, which isn't true. Um, I've done extensive research on it, and I've never found a single genuine case of anyone coming to any real harm from an experience. I've heard of people with sleep paralysis experiencing some really scary stuff. But sleep paralysis is a different thing, distinct from out of body experiences, and so is lucid dreaming, in my view. So, if you don't want to have fearful experience, probably just avoid dreaming methodologies. But, but, but the key, the key, the key point, I think, with that is there are lots of things within spiritual practice that you're encouraged to do. You know, you're encouraged to pray. You're encouraged. To attend church, you're encouraged to live a virtuous life, you're encouraged to do certain actions within well, virtually all the religions Um, and I I think that an out-of-body experience is really if you put it into more of a spiritual, forget about the science for a moment, if we just put it into more of a spiritual context, it's a way of connecting directly to your spirit your spiritual essence your soul your spirit however you want to describe it so how in how can connecting to the essence of your being the thing that is supposed to be the infinite part of yourself the part that is most fundamentally from god how could that really be in any way um problematic or, or demonic it it doesn't it doesn't make sense
0: yeah you know i mean that's why i love on how you were sharing on how your personal out-of-body experiences have made you with you know how you seem to be like a better person through these things and you develop certain uh practices of things that you'd be abstaining from of what you think would be a a, a good life you know for yourself and um so what you're saying is pretty much it's like it really depends on the content of what it's not out of bodies you know, experience per se, that's that's good or bad. It's just what what are what's the person going to be experiencing and what are they going to be learning from these things. So from yours, it's a positive thing. Um, but from some people who would comment on my videos, they would post these negative articles of people um, having out of body and meeting different entities. And they would talk about negative entities, you know, like dark and lying spirits, deceiving people. You know, they'll throw, they'll throw out Bible verses like, you know, the devil's disguising himself as an angel of light. So even though you might be seeing these, what we can call even spirit guides or whatever, like it's really the devil, you know, disguising and deceiving you. And like, maybe you could even start up your own cult group or something. So I mean, like, how, how would you reply to um, these, these you know, fear-based kind of um, ideas that, that people have, which keeps them from approaching this type of experience?
1: Well, as I mentioned, I think... Virtually every time someone mentions anything fearful to do with an experience. My first question is Were you having sleep paralysis? Um, if they know what that is of course um, and In 90 plus percent of cases that that will be the case and, and I think that Sleep paralysis is essentially a semi-wake waking nightmare. Yeah um, for most people and um, so, to me, a nightmare is not the same thing as an out-of-body experience um, and I don't have my out-of-body experiences from sleep or dreams, I should point that out. Um, I've never had sleep paralysis in my life um, and, I, and I, I focus on using a conscious, intentional approach um, and I don't have experiences of dark, demonic things ever. Um, so, I think that people who have that kind of stuff, it's nearly always, in my opinion, well, it's always either sleep paralysis or some kind of dream based experience. So, I, and, but even if, even if we were to accept that there was somehow some reality to that, there's still no instances of anyone actually being harmed by it. So, I think that, I think that even, even if someone sort of argues that 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 position it's still very very telling that that it's just they felt some fear in an experience but um, in a probably a dream experience and uh, but at the end of the day like a nightmare you might feel frightened or whatever when you wake up but we all know that a nightmare can't actually hurt you it it just scares you Um, and if you work on your own psychology if you work on your own self if you work on your own fears then you probably won't be having any nightmares in future or even sleep paralysis can be worked with so that you can relax and find an inner peace within that experience and then even sleep paralysis can reach a point where it's no longer fearful um,
0: I mean far do far you think last- I mean do you sorry to interrupt I mean do you think though that some of these uh, scary experiences? um might be happening possibly like their a person's worldview kind of comes into play do you think like with someone who believes in demons and the devil i mean do you think that plays a role of why people might well, be well sure
1: sure and and i think that's another problem because i guess it's a bit like possession in in general um you don't really come across any atheists who are you know in kind of uh spitting pea soup and <laughs> 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 all these, all these kinds of things I, yeah. I think a lot of it is to do I, I mean the reason I reference that actually is I think a lot of this does also come from Hollywood and from films sure, because um, a lot of these I mean if you take The Exorcist when it came out in the 1970s there was a huge increase in people who believed they were possessed as a result of the film coming out um, but when you actually look into the case that the exorcist was based on, there's no there's no evidence. Again, it, it comes down to um, it was based on a, on a boy, we think, and the location of the boy is never consistent and what actually happened isn't consistent. One of the only people who ever spoke to the priest who was involved felt that it was the priest's beliefs that influenced the boy rather than the other way around. So, um, when you actually dig into most of the cases, which I have done, I spent decades looking for any evidence of any of this kind of thing because I thought that it was important to my own integrity teaching these kinds of things to see if I could actually find any real evidence of, of, of harm coming from an OBE and I can say that to this day never found a case um that once you looked into it was was, you know stood up on its own yeah
0: so i mean i guess you could kind of say that a lot of the experiences that we have um might be coming from um our beliefs or we could be projecting some of uh, these negative experiences you know um like even when I was a kid, you know, I was so into what we would call like spiritual warfare. I don't know if you heard that term before, but, um, you know, I, I would constantly have nightmares and, you know, see demons and see stuff even when I was a kid. And, um, and then when I kind of stopped thinking about that. And I kind of became more skeptical, believe it or not, I stopped seeing those things, you know, but then, you know, uh, this is funny, but how some religious folks would kind of turn that around and say, oh, that's because you're not seeing that stuff because you're not doing God's work. So the devil's not really mad at you. You know what I mean? So they always have like like something to to use against you. But um, I was just coaching someone just recently and. She was even talking about how you know she was scared because of her sleep paralysis, but because she saw one of my videos, I actually did a video on sleep paralysis, and I was just kind of showing on what sleep paralysis might actually be, you know, where it's not necessarily like this uh, thing with you know some person coming on top of you, but a lot of it could possibly be like. Things from our inner psyche, you know, things that we're projecting, and a movie that we watched just like right before we went to bed, and and actually encouraging people if they've learned to just kind of be neutral about it, that it's just like a normal thing that the body does when it goes to bed. You could even turn it into um, like an out of body experience. It could be kind of like a prelude to that, you know. And so, um, like you, I don't really experience sleep paralysis anymore, but I have experienced it in the past, and it wasn't scary for me at all. I remember when I had it, my mind, I was literally just thinking oh, I heard about this (laughs) while it was happening, you know, and I couldn't move. But I it's just like I've seen a lot of my friends who have this worldview that's very much about uh, the devil, the devil, Satan, you know, uh, attacking you. It's like they they see stuff, you know what I'm saying? And so I I think that's one of the things I kind of wanted to bring into this is that I I do believe that our our beliefs do matter, you know, um, in in many ways where things from our our psyche just kind of get mixed in with quote-unquote reality you know whatever that means sometimes but yeah I'm, I'm glad you're sharing that you know and and you come off very i like on how you're very neutral where you're not as very like matter of fact where you're open to different uh possibilities and um yeah man so you're sharing a lot of good things you know and you know we could go all day like presenting you know several lines of evidence for the objectivity of an obe you know but what do you think might be the best evidence to possibly uh, convince a skeptic of of this reality.
1: Well, I, I think the the converging evidence and 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 the sheer body of evidence for within parapsychology. So the evidence looking at out of body experiences, which we've already talked about, the evidence from prospective studies in near death research. So. Penny Sartori's research in the UK, Pim van Lommel's research in the Netherlands, um, people like that, and then just the the you know real laboratory research looking at uh, other forms of uh, extrasensory perception, so things like telepathy, precognition, etc. Um, but I, but I think what what it comes down to. When when we when we sort of look at skepticism and things like that, is I think most people have essentially an emotional connection to a particular worldview, and it's very hard for all of us, me included, everyone, to be objective, to truly be objective, sure. and to truly to truly step outside of of our emotional uh, beliefs. There's an excellent book by a by a journalist from the UK called Will Store. Um, it's called The Heretics in the UK. I think it's called something else in the US. But anyway, it's called it's by Will Storr. Um, and in that book, there's a great moment because he, he goes and he speaks to Rupert Sheldrake, for example, who I've done telepathy experiments and precognition experiments with. Um, and he goes and talks to Rupert Sheldrake and Rupert Sheldrake puts his perspective across from the position of, that the science is very strong for psychic abilities. And then he goes and talks to a group of sceptics and the sceptics, he asks the sceptics, why is it that you have this, uh, you know, that you think that this really matters so much? And one of them says, oh, well, it's the, you know, things like homeopathy. If people believe in homeopathy, they might take that, which is essentially water. They might take that water instead of, uh, medicine, and then you know they could get very, very sick. They could even die because they haven't gone and got proper medical uh, help, and they've taken the homeopathy. And then Will Store, I thought this was so beautiful. Will Store just said, "So, do you know of a situation when that's happened?" Mm. And they didn't. Not one no. of them had an example of that. But this was the, the story they were telling themselves sure. of why they were sceptical. When I think for many people, it's simply they want to be right. They want to feel that they have the right answer. And I think that can be the problem in religion, in science, in many, many areas. And I think that's why I try to take this open sort of neutral view, because I'm a human being. I'm fallible. No one is right. Everyone has interpretations and we have to remember that the likelihood is is we're wrong about a hell of a lot of things yeah
0: yeah for sure for sure I mean would you also um, possibly add on that one of the most powerful things to possibly convince a skeptic would be a a personal out-of-body experience for them to have do you think that would change someone's mind or at least be more powerful than just all these experimentations that we can offer to them
1: I doubt it actually because I think that they they usually sort of compartmentalize or they put it out of their mind. Or if it didn't have a veridical component, for example, um, then they're quite easily uh, able to put that into a sort of, oh, it was just a hallucination. Or And I, I have met plenty of skeptics who had experiences and have just dismissed them without really even looking into them.
0: Right. And you debated Susan Blackmore, who did have um, an OBE, correct?
1: Yeah, but she was also on drugs. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. There, there's, there's some big question marks around that. But Sue was a very good example. I've, I've written a very long uh, blog post about my meeting with her, which I'll be posting when when it comes out. It was interesting. It was on a Christian radio station, actually. Oh, was it? Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm looking um, forward to that. So so the host is is a Christian, and then there's me, who I guess you would say is, uh, spiritual, but sure. <laughs> I don't know what category I come into. Um, and then, and then Susan Blackmore, who's a skeptic, and um, but it was interesting because she was unwilling, really, to engage with any of the evidence, and she pretty much sort of dismissed everything. And for me, sort of, I guess, analysing her responses, it felt very much that I was dealing with someone who has already has a commitment a, to as a commitment bias to a particular point of view and is not not willing to really engage anymore maybe she was in the past but in that particular conversation you know her, her arguments as I mentioned earlier she used the plausible explanation argument you know which is oh it could have been this even though there's no evidence that it was that or you know um, and, and the thing is often when I debate skeptics they assume but I haven't thought of these possibilities for, for example you know she she said oh you know one of the arguments was that I might have been able to see this information earlier on uh, and I'd, I'd actually I'd actually gone back and checked whether that was possible by looking at photographic evidence going through all sorts of different things so I, I'd already thought of that possibility and I'd looked into it and it didn't hold up You know, this is what I mean about being sort of sceptical in, as you said, the old meaning of the word that I I use the hardest uh, criteria and the hardest evidence against my own experiences. But if at the end of the day, they, you know, all of the sceptical arguments don't explain them, then it would be irrational of me to conclude that they're not that there's not anything to them. Um, and there's been witnesses to multiple of my experiences as well, so it's not even just going by me. It's like other people have seen seen it as well. So yeah, that's why yeah.
0: I, I appreciate what you do, man. Yeah, I mean, like, do you have any closing thoughts uh, before we wrap up? Any advice you want to give to um, my listeners?
1: I think it's just about focusing on on the positive in terms of the fears and things like that. I think it's important that. We all just focus on compassion, you know, having a, a positive, open attitude towards life and ideas. And, you know, you don't you don't have to assume any one position when it comes to these things in terms of religion. There's nothing in the religion that says anything about this is wrong. Um, there, there really is. not um, And then to the skeptics, I think. Well, maybe having, having an experience, maybe exploring it, maybe just being neutral. I think everything in science should be neutral. Everything should be, it's about levels of confidence. We can't say categorically one thing is true and one thing's not true. What we can say is we have confidence, a level of confidence. And the thing is, there is a whole body of data out there. And it's so easy when an idea comes forward to just go onto Google and say, arguments against that particular position and just look for anything to not take on board what you're hearing But I think what's more important is to say well What's the if I looked at it neutrally if I was really honest with myself and with my ideas And I just looked at it neutrally um, and took a step back is there evidence is there a reason to maybe take on board some of these things, and, and I think it's it, it's a bit like how things can get with uh, you know not killing animals or something like that for food. Um, people will make all kinds of excuses, but if you just ask yourself the question, would that be a better way to be? Would that be a better option for those animals and for the world around us? It's a similar thing. We we just. I think it's just about saying what could be the better option in our lives in general, um, spiritually and personally. So that would be my thought, I guess.
0: <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I appreciate your advice. You know, oh, I mean, so what's, what's next for you now? I mean, you had that debate uh, with Susan Blackmore. Do you know when that's going to be available?
1: It should be in the next couple of weeks. I okay,
0: think. I'll be looking be. out for that. I mean, are you working on your next book or what you got going
1: on? I am, yeah. Yeah, the next book is going to be more about those questions of life after death and, and that kind of thing. Uh, so I'm going to explore that with some really amazing cases that I've personally investigated, plus my own cases, plus um, some of the science, although I'm trying to make it very um, narrative and inspiring to read as well.
0: Awesome, so, awesome. And do you know when that might be out?
1: I'm not sure about the date for that one yet. Oh,
0: okay. So, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll look out for that, though. You know. So how can my listeners keep in touch with you? What's your website?
1: My website is grahamnichols.com. So there's uh, plenty of articles and blog posts and things like that on there. There's also courses and private tuition and things like that. So if people want to learn more about what I do, and I'm always open to emails as well, so they can go on the contact page and, send me a question and they can also add me on facebook um, yeah.
0: so. facebook twitter you're on all those those things <laughs>
1: I, i'm not i'm not a huge social media person ah, okay but but i okay. do i do have some things and i've also got um for example one of my veridical obe's or well, two of them with witnesses on my youtube channel as well so they can have a look okay at that so a yeah,
0: youtube yeah yeah that's right so that's that's the website, you guys. So it's Graham Nichols, but uh it's spelled dot scom And so he said he has a Facebook, Twitter, uh, check out his, his uh, YouTube channel. And also check out uh Graham's book, Navigating the Out of Body Experience and Avenues of the Human Spirit on Amazon.com. And if you'd like to support the show uh, financially and help keep it going, that would really mean a lot. You know, you can just go to patreon.com slash Tongle. That's uh, www dot p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash joshua and so don't forget to subscribe to this channel and my podcast on itunes and if you can uh, just take a moment and uh, write a review and rate it it only takes like two minutes you know because it'll help more people discover the show and of course uh, please share this interview with your friends and so graham it was a nice chat with you bro you know i really appreciate you making the time and uh, just your experience and and the knowledge that you could you could share with with all of us, man. And so, thanks for being on the show.
1: Thanks. It was really great to be on.
0: Awesome, awesome. So, alrighty, guys. Once again, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you guys on the flip side. I'm out. Peace.